On this second Sunday of Advent, we continue in our brief journey here through the opening chapters of the book of Isaiah. I invite you to open your Bible there to Isaiah chapter 2. Last week, we had an overview of chapter 1 where we saw Isaiah lay bare two real fundamental realities. The first fundamental reality had to do with us, with our condition, the condition of mankind, which is that we're sinners through and through we're sinners. He also laid bare the reality about God, that our God saves. So Isaiah laid bare those two things last week. He has a lot to say in this book, the prophet does, a lot to say to us about us, but praise God, he also has a lot to say to us about God. So this book that we're looking at this Advent, the book of the prophet Isaiah, just like the whole book of the Bible itself has one major overarching storyline, which is the story of Jesus. And this great story of Isaiah and this great story of the Bible once in a while shows us where this story is headed. And that's what happens today in Isaiah 2 as we turn there. God through his prophet Isaiah, remember Isaiah is a prophet of God commissioned by God to speak the word of God and the vision of God to the people of God with all the authority of God. Isaiah reveals to us this morning that this story is headed somewhere. This story is headed somewhere. And where this story is headed, you can look all around you at the world and know that where this story is headed is towards the ultimate exaltation of Jesus Christ above all things, above all people, above all nations, above all rulers, above all powers. Our text this morning affirms this. It affirms what we proclaim every Sunday in our service as the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will what? Come again. The outcome is settled. Habakkuk 2.14 tells us that. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Outcome is settled. Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The outcome is settled. Revelation 11, 15 tells us that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So good news this Advent. This story is headed somewhere. As we draw our attention today to Isaiah Chapter 2, the prophet proclaims this to us definitively. Here's what he tells us, where the story is headed. The Lord alone will be exalted. 
the Lord alone will be exalted. Do you ever wonder how it all ends? Does it ever look to you like everything is spiraling out of control? Then look at God's word. The Lord alone will be exalted. And I want to underline this here at the beginning before we go any further. Everything we're going to read about in this chapter will certainly happen. And I can say that for at least two reasons. Reason number one is from verse one. Look with me. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, what? Saw. He saw this word concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah could see God's word because when God speaks, God accomplishes. Go back with me to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light. Then what happened? There was light. God speaks it, it is. It's done. So Isaiah saw this word. didn't hear this word. He saw it because it was done. Reason number two that these things will certainly happen is from verse two. Look with me. Read just the first, let's say, five words of verse two. If you've got Isaiah 2, 2, read out loud just the first five words of verse two. Ready? It shall come to pass. Say it again. It shall come to pass. Not maybe. Not might. This is not a prediction of Isaiah. This is the certain promise of God that we will see play out with our very eyes. One day you and I will also see this word. It might be this afternoon when Jesus returns. It might be tomorrow. It might be 500 years from now. One day, you and I will see this word. And when we see this word, from our mouths will either come great rejoicing or great weeping. Isaiah points us to two certainties this morning. And the first certainty is of the mountain of the Lord. The mountain of the Lord. It shall come to pass... In the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths." Let's just ponder very quickly an interpretive question when we read passages like that. Is this a literal mountain? Is it a literal house of the Lord, meaning temple, the house of the Lord, meaning temple? That may be what we think Isaiah is saying. And it may have been very well what Isaiah's original audience thought he was saying. They were familiar with this idea of the house of the Lord, with a temple of the Lord, a real physical Stone temple with pillars, geographical location. 
That is not what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah has something much greater in mind, and he actually has someone greater in mind. Sunday school question. Sunday school answer is coming up, but let me ask the question first. Don't blurt out the answer, okay? I know some of you are eager to get the answer out there. So here's the question. Here's the question. Ultimately, to whom was Solomon pointing? To whom was the temple pointing? To whom was Isaiah and all the prophets pointing? To whom is the entire Old Testament pointing? Answer, Jesus. Good job. You get an A. A for Advent. Isaiah isn't talking about a place. He's talking about a person. About the eventual, unmistakable exaltation of the person of Jesus. The end of the story is written. Verse 2 is talking about Jesus, who is himself the mountain of the house of the Lord. And he shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And he shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to him. It's where the story is headed. To Jesus exalted above all things. Think back with me to when we were in the book of John. We were in chapter 2. Jesus himself there is standing in an actual physical temple, and he says something mind-blowing in the temple. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They ask him, how can this be? This temple took 46 years to be built, and Jesus responded that he was speaking about his body. Jesus is the mountain of the house of the Lord that will be exalted and established and all the nations shall flow to him. It's good for us to remember that as world history progresses, Jesus is not ultimately going to have faded into the background like an old photograph or like a, an old celebrity. We don't know when it will happen we don't know how long it is from now. We don't know how dark the shadows will get before it happens. But we know the outcome is settled that Jesus will be exalted above all things and people and nations and rulers and powers, period. This shall come to pass. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. I had a conversation on the men's retreat last weekend with someone who has read, like I have, a lot of the studies that are out there about church attendance and the demographical shifts and America becoming more and more of a post-Christian nation. And we were sitting there, I think we were eating homemade biscuits drizzled with apple butter or something. Can I get an Amen. Praise God. Where was I? <laughs> and the image came to me of when I go to the eye doctor every year and they put that massive machine in front of my face to help get my prescription just right. You've experienced this, I'm sure many of you. 
you know, the size of a Honda Civic or something. And they, they put layers of lenses in front of layers of lenses to just get your prescription, to get your vision just right. The Bible is our ultimate lens through which we see the world and the future of the world. It overlays all other lenses. Yes, we want to be as realistic as possible, like Isaiah was. We want to ask God to give us a holy discontent like Isaiah had. We want to grieve and lament the state of our own hearts and the state of our culture. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah does both. He, he laments the state of his own heart. I'm a man of unclean lips. And he laments the state of his people, the world and the church. I live among a people of unclean lips. So we want to look through the lens of of being realistic and asking for a holy discontent about the truth and the reality of our, of our people in our own hearts. But we also want to ask for God's vision, like Isaiah did. And here's the vision of Isaiah. One day, the glory of Jesus is going to fill the earth. Let me point out two quick words here that are results of this, this great certainty that we have of the mountain of the house of the Lord. And the first word is this, salvation. Look with me at verse three, one more time. Verse three, the house of the Lord, Jesus, shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Rivers don't usually flow up mountains. But this isn't just any mountain. This is Jesus. Rivers flow. The nations eventually flow to him. Remember Romans eleven thirty six. You might know this. For from him and through him and what? To him are all things. To him are all things. To him be glory forever. Revelation 7, 9, John writes of the nations flowing to Jesus. He says, he looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. It's where we're headed. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, what? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This story that we're in, this river that we're in, is running towards salvation in Christ. And it's headed towards peace in Christ. That's the second word here. Verse four. He shall judge between the nations, shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We don't know when this will happen. We don't know how much darker this world will get before this peace will come. And so we lament 
the darkness and the war and the evil. And we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. One day Christ will come and will bring peace on earth. Think of that song we sing, one of my favorites by Andrew Peterson. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? You bet we do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And do you wish when you watch the news, when you read the news, when you hear the stories of people who have fled countries, who have experienced evil, victims of abuse, do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. We will. Ephesians 2, 14 puts it plainly. Jesus himself is our peace. He is the mountain of the house of the Lord. He will be exalted one day. You will see it. Hold on to this hope of salvation and peace in Christ. You might not see it in your lifetime but you will see it one day. Hold on to that hope. And that's what verse five calls us to, is to somehow, I'm glad it's raining today, because right now we're in, this, we're in this in-between of now and not yet. We look up and we see clouds and shadows, but we're called to walk in the light of the Lord. Verse five, oh house of Jacob, come, let us walk not in what we see, not in the shadows that are all around us. Let's walk in the light of the Lord. Hear also the word of the Lord, though. The day of the Lord is coming. Remember, we're being pointed here to two certainties in this chapter. First, the mountain of the Lord, now the day of the Lord. And you'll notice in your Bibles that our editors have added that heading uh, above verse 6, the day of the Lord. We'll fly over pretty quickly verses 6 through 9. In those verses, the prophet is basically reminding us of the hard word from last week in chapter 1, that we are a, a, a sick people, a sinful people. There was that haunting verse last week in chapter 1, verse 4, that said we're utterly estranged from the Lord. Make matters worse, chapter 2, verse 8, which we're sort of flying over. But look at verse 8 real quick. Those who have rejected the Lord, their land is filled with idols. So not only do we very often not just reject the Lord, but then we make for ourselves counterfeit lords. So there is coming a day, this shall come to pass, when Jesus will level every idol, Jesus will destroy every enemy, Jesus will humble every last trace of the prideful arrogance that first reared its head in the garden. So hear now how the prophet warns the nations, but even in warning the nations, he beckons them to hide in the rock of Christ. So we're gonna hear quite a warning now about the day of the Lord but it is bathed in a beckoning to come to the rock. Verse 10, 
enter into the rock and hide in the dust, here comes the warning from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And again, every eye will witness this day. It will be unlike any other day because on that day, Jesus will not only come for, Jesus will come against. Look with me at verses 12 through 16 you'll notice one word that occurs quite often. What's that word? Against. We see it 10 times here in five verses. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, all that is lifted up, all the cedars of Lebanon, all the oaks of Bashan, all the lofty mountains, all the uplifted hills, every high tower, every fortified wall, all the ships of Tarshish and all the beautiful craft against, against, against. 10 times, 10 things exposing the one thing, the one thing that categorizes what God is against and what God will destroy. See it in verse 17. This is what all those things are examples of. The haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away. God has a day on his calendar. He does. It is fixed and certain and unmovable and it is labeled the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Just like there were two words, salvation and peace, that echo from the mountain of the house of the Lord, there are two words that echo from the day of the Lord, and the first is terror. This is not to be misunderstood as the terror of evil. This is not to be misunderstood as terrorism. This is simply our holy, holy, holy God. People shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. On the day of the Lord, on the certain day of the Lord, there will not be a tomorrow during which a person can decide to hide themselves in the Lord. All possibilities of a tomorrow will end on the ultimate day. And on that day, at the end, we will either rejoice while hiding in the Lord or we will weep while trying to hide from the Lord. 
there is certain hope for all those who hide in the Lord. There is no hope trying to hide from the Lord. This is the terror of our holy, holy, holy God. But remember, remember, remember that our holy, holy, holy God did did not withhold his righteous terror from his own righteous son. The words of Romans 8, 32, God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. So Christ, who is the rock of ages, endured the terror he did not deserve so that by hiding in the rock, we receive the grace we do not deserve. Jesus endured all of God's againsts so that we might receive by grace all of God's fors. There is grace inside the rock. There is terror outside the rock. Now Isaiah also points us to God's majesty. That's our final word. Here at the end of verse 19, the splendor of his majesty. Note this, that his majesty is not something he possesses. His majesty is who he is. His majesty is not a crown that he puts on. He is himself the crown. On this earth, we never see his majesty clearly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 describes this problem this way. Now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, right now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So one day, all of us will see his majesty face to face and will know fully that he is who he says he is. And we will see his hands and we'll see the scars in his hands. And when we see those scars, and when we see Isaiah's word accomplished, out of our mouths will come either great rejoicing at those scars or great weeping. That is what Isaiah is describing will happen on the day of the Lord. We'll see the scars of the Messiah. And those who trusted in the scars will be hidden forever in Christ. Those who rejected the scars will weep. This is the day of the Lord. Later on in this service, we'll sing these words from one of my all-time favorite hymns. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Every eye shall now behold him, robed in dreadful majesty. Those who sat at naught and sold him, pierced 
and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, shall the true Messiah see. Those dear tokens of his passion, still his dazzling body bears, cause of endless exaltation to his ransomed worshipers with what rapture, with what rapture, with what rapture gaze we on those glorious scars. We're going to gaze one day upon the scars of Jesus and we'll either rejoice or we'll weep. Jesus shall be established. Shall as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up, up, up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to him. This is where the story is headed. We're headed to a mountain of salvation and peace and we're headed to a day of terror and majesty. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. So the prophet beckons us. God our Father beckons us to come. Come and enter into the rock. Put your trust, hide inside the rock today while it is still called today. O house of Jacob. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your great promise and that you accomplish what you say. Lord, fill our hearts with hope for this mountain of salvation and peace. Fill our hearts with longing for that great day of the Lord and fill our hearts with passion to draw all people to your saving grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.